Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Amy Belchek joins the podcast this week, and Amy owns a dating agency, and she is a matchmaker. She also writes a dating column for the Jewish Chronicle. And in this episode, Amy and I discuss dating in the modern world. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes and use the code everybody at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 162 of Something for Everybody with Amy Belchek. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for uh, for staying up so late to uh, to record this episode with me. I appreciate it. No worries. Took a bit of time to get um, our diaries synced, but here we are. Yeah, you have a busy schedule, and I want to I want to talk about everything that you're doing. But before uh, we get to all of that, I have a very important question to ask you. The most important question, and it is, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know. I feel like I'm on a weird come down at the moment from a crazy few months. So I'm sort of just riding that. But thanks for asking, because not many people ask that question these days, you know? Yeah. And um, I think one interesting thing is that when you say, all right, because you're from you're from England. And when we say, all right, it's like it means totally different things, I think. Do you think that? Because when I say all right, I'm like, yeah, it's like, like it's, it's all right. But I think when you guys say it, you actually sort of mean like things are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like we, yeah, things are good. You know, they're not amazing or great, but they're, they're good. You know, we're, we're okay. Yeah. I would say that. But yeah, they do mean different mm. things. And the um, British language and American isms are different. So. Yeah. It is, but why were your last couple of months so chaotic? What were you doing? Um, I just kicked off the year doing a really big challenge. So I went on 28 blind dates in 28 days in February, which is where we, we actually met in February when you were over in London with Rihanna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I was in the middle of 28 dates and I wasn't really socializing that month because I was so focused on 28 dates, but I made an exception because Rihanna was over with her boyfriend. So I was like, I cannot. Not <laughs> um, so that's obviously where we met and so it was just a bit of a wild month as I'm sure you can imagine and it was a massive personal challenge and I think I was riding the highs of that and you know I raised a lot of money for charity and I had some weird and wonderful experiences and 
following that was also just a busy time with trips and holidays and work and so I feel like Jan, Feb, March for me were just really crazy and now April and May I'm slowly on this come down and I'm like oh where am I now am I okay and just sort of rechecking in with myself after a really like non-stop period kind of thing hmm Okay, I I want I mean, I'm so interested as I was when we met in February about your 28 dates in 28 days. Uh, So but we need to backtrack, I think, like, how did you get into that? How did you get into matchmaking? Why did you go on the 28 dates? Uh, Let's start there. So I work in theater. And I had always dreamed of working in theatre. So I studied theatre at university and I loved, you know, going and seeing shows and being a part of making shows when I was at uni um, and always loved seeing them and things like that. So my career was always like I want to work in theatre and it was a really hard graph for me to try and get into the theatre industry. Um, And so when I graduated, I had, you know, many a many job interview to get into theatre, 40 until I really landed my big break in theatre. And so for me... Um, you say 40? You know, 40, yeah. I had 40 jobs. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, it was wild. And it was really... Okay, anyways, go ahead. Yeah, it was a bit crazy. So um, I eventually did land a job working in theatre. And what I do in theatre is called sort of theatre production. And it's general management. So it's sort of overseeing the run of a production. So looking after the show day to day. And um, I sort of landed my dream job working in theatre back in 2018. Um, And then when COVID hit, obviously theatres around the world went dark. Um, The West End was completely dark, which means that no shows were live, nothing was happening. And subsequently, a lot of people in my industry lost their jobs. And that's unfortunately what happened to me. Um, And so it was sort of June, July 2020, I lost my job in theatre, which was devastating um but I was sort of very certain that I wanted to go back into theatre and so when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do um it was clear to me that I wanted to sort of find a filler of something I could do before the theatre started to reopen and jobs started to sort of come about again and I remember really clearly I went to a part a birthday party as things were reopening post-covid I went to a birthday party of a colleague of mine who also lost his job we just lost our jobs and he was like look come out for a drink and I was like fine so I go to this really cool um rooftop called Pagola on the Roof which is a really cool place in London where a lot of people go and it was great post-covid because it was outside and everything and I bumped into a group of Jewish girls that I knew from school and one of them had sort of like dated my good friend Josh and um I sort of was like well you know you really missed out on Josh because he's such a great catch and I sort of was looking at the other girls and I was like oh you could be a good match for Josh and I was sort of trying to set them up inadvertently just being like oh like would you go out with my friend Josh and this girl was like sort of laughing and the next day I happened to see my friend Josh and I mentioned I'd sort of you know mixing and was getting a bit busy at this at this rooftop bar and he was actually quite into it he was like oh like I would go on a date with this girl and so I did a little bit of you know networking and I messaged her and you know got them together and basically set them up and you know flash forward to three years later they're still together and so that sort of was where I was like I did that and then I was like you know what I actually could maybe do something with this and 
me and my friends were talking about how hard dating is anyway in the Jewish community. But during COVID, it was just becoming even clear how much harder it was going to be with COVID in the mix. And so I just sort of got talking to people and like this idea started brewing about setting up this Jewish dating agency. And, you know, it was really setting up my friend Josh that made me really think, oh, like, you know, I do maybe have a bit of a knack for it and I have a bit of the gift of the gab and sort of thing. And so I sent this broadcast (laughs) broadcast message out. I literally sent this broadcast message, broadcast message on my phone to loads of people just being like, look, I'm thinking of setting up this Jewish dating agency. The concept's blind dates. If you're game, I'm going to do a trial pool. Let me know if you're interested. And that was literally how it all started. And little did I know that I was going to end up where I am today. Um, and that was nearly three years ago. So that's sort of how it all began. Hmm. Very interesting. I, I think one important part of that is, well, there are a lot of important parts of that, but one of them being uh, the Jewish aspect of it. I think that's very important. Um, why is Judaism one important to you? And why is it important for you to connect other Jews with each other in, say, a romantic type of way? Um, that's a good question. I think I, I am obviously Jewish and I have grown up, you know, I went to a Jewish school um, and I went to something called a Juni, which is like a Jewish uni where a lot of Jewish people go to uni. Um, and, you know, whilst I have an amazing network of friends in particularly theatre that aren't Jewish, a lot of my friends are Jewish and we've all grown up, most of us, you know, whether this has happened for people or not, but a lot of people have grown up thinking they want to marry within the faith and that's something that's right for them and what they want. And, you know, dating is hard in the best of times, but try and, you know, date within the Jewish faith and then throw in a pandemic and so many other factors that the layers and the complexities, you know, as I'm sure you also understand, um, is, is really tricky. And so, I mean, for me personally, I feel strongly about being with somebody who's Jewish because of shared values um, and beliefs. You know, I believe in, you know, the religion and and God and stuff like that. So, you know, for me to really feel like I'm going to connect with somebody on that level, I personally want to be with somebody who's Jewish because I think I'm always going to reach a point that we're going to we're going to get stuck or get conflicted if they weren't. Um, but also I, I understand that like in the Jewish community, it's important to a lot of people. And so, um, when I set up my business, it was never like, I'm going to become really rich and make loads of money from setting up this business. But I was seeing that it was a struggle, you know, especially for secular Jews who don't have the existence of, you know, religious Jewish matchmakers that really exist in the religious Jewish world. There's somebody there to literally, set everyone up and that doesn't really exist in the secular Jewish world and so the the agency which is what my dating agency is called was built of sort of seeing that like people are struggling so can I do anything to try and help introduce people sort of thing yeah it's it's beautiful I (laughs) I was uh talking to someone else the other day about uh just like Jews in America and how uh non-Jews in America think that Every single Jewish person knows every single Jewish person in America. And just looking at you and thinking about you and how many people you know and how many people are you connecting uh, made me think about that stereotype and how it might actually be true. So uh, just pointing that out. 
<laughs> I mean, I actually don't think it's true, though. So I think that, like, there is Jewish geography and we're all connected. But there's so many people that we don't know. And I see that because I see people that sign up and join my dating agency. And I'm like, don't recognize you. Never heard of you. We have no mutual friends. But somehow, like, we probably are connected through one stream of our Jewish existence. But, um, yes, everyone thinks we all know each other. And to a degree, there's always going to be a line where we're connected. But I actually think there's an, I always say this to my clients, there's an abundance of eligible single people. It's just about finding them. And it's such, you have to really believe that because it's so easy to think, like, there's no one. I've completed J-Swipe. I know every single Jewish boy in North London. And it's like, you actually really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it, it's a beautiful thing, though, to do anything that can build community, right? Because it's so important, right? That's what we need. We need other people, whether it be friendships, romantic relationships, you know, uh, and the Jewish community, like at least why I love it so much is that's what it's always been for me, a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of a way to make friends. Um, I just got super lucky that re happens to be Jewish, like someone's looking out for me, right? And that's that's no accident, I don't think, right? That she's the only person on Hinge that I swiped on that I actually talked to and then found extremely gorgeous. And then also she's Jewish. Okay, not an accident, right? Just a thing that you have, like a, a faith that you believe in and things just like, come to you in that sense when you need them the most. And now people have someone like you to push the envelope a little bit and to put, lean them in the right direction so they can find the person that could potentially change their life for forever. And so I think it's quite cool what you're doing. Thank you. And, you know, I completely agree with what you're saying, you know, even with friendships and just connecting people generally. Like I, I say to my clients all the time, like, I'm not God, I'm not a magician, and I can't guarantee that I'm going to find you a successful match, but I can try. And if you go on a date through me, because my USP is blind dating specifically, um, you know, I have clients that get something from the experience. It may not be that they've met like somebody who they want to spend the rest of their lives with, or even want to, you know, date casually or, you know, for a little bit, but there's something to gain from that experience. And I think, you know, there's so many layers of like putting yourself out there. And I always say to people when they sign up, like, well done, like, congratulations to you that you signed up because that's the hardest thing to be like, do you know what? I'm going to just put this trust into somebody else and put my, put my name in the ring and maybe go on a blind date is a really big thing to do and to surrender to that. So I always say to people like, you know, good for you that you've done that because I think there's so much fear of even doing that. I get messages all the time of people being like, you know, um, I, you know, I just want to make sure this is all confidential. And I'm like, of course it's confidential. I wouldn't have been running my business for nearly three years if I went and spoke about everyone who's on my books. Like, that's just not how I roll. And, you know, it's not etiquette. Of course, every conversation I have, everyone who's on my books, it, I would never disclose that. And I think that's also sometimes, you know, the curse of being Jewish that like, there's so much of everyone knows each other and all this connection that like, you know, when there's bad things or negativity, it spreads so quickly, just as much as the positives and the goodness. And so there's sometimes that fear of just, you know, being like, I'm going to sign up to Amy's dating agency, because there's so much of the unknown and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, there's good and bad, I would say. Of course, yeah, of course. I mean, there's good and bad that comes with 
with basically everything that you do in life, but there's majority of the time when you, when you take that leap and you jump into something unknown, it's a little bit scary. There's always going to be something good that can come out of it. You know, may not be that you found the perfect person this time, but you at least know that you're a person who can take that chance because if you're not willing to get your heart broken, then you're really not willing to find true love. And so that's like, you know, it's very cliche, but it's absolutely truth. No, honestly, that is like so beautifully put and it's so true. And it's, it's being vulnerable is so scary. And like, you know, I put my hands up and say that like, I hate being vulnerable because I find it much more safer to be in this role of matchmaker. And the second that, you know, we switch it and I'm the person that's going on the date, I, it makes me feel sick because I don't feel safe in that position because yes, there's risk of being rejected, but there's also, you know, so many other factors that you have to be in, particularly being vulnerable. And for me, like the safe space is being the matchmaker, hence why I decided to go on 28 dates in February because it was such a push out of my comfort zone. And it's so true what you're saying that like, you know, you have to put yourself on the line and take that risk to find love because it's, you know, if you don't risk it, then you're never going to have the opportunity to find it basically. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself from going on 28 dates in 28 days? <laughs> um, I think, you know, I learned a lot about dating and I think I one big takeaway for me was just how insecure people are. Um, you know, so many of the guys that I went on dates with were so quick to um, give away their sort of insecurity. And I know we briefly spoke about it when we met and about, you know, well, they're being vulnerable and that whole conversation and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like on a first date, you know, you always should be presenting the best version of yourself. And so um, mm. I think that I found that really interesting that I gave off a vibe that a lot of these guys felt they could open up to me. And I don't know whether it's because it wasn't really a real date because we were always, it was always in the mind that this is for charity and it was raising money and stuff like that. But I found that really interesting. I, I think in terms of what I learned about myself is that, you know, I think I do really know who I am. And I think, I learned from the dates that, you know, that confirmed it for me. I think I've always been someone that's been quite self-aware, but I think going on the dates and sort of being like, I know what I have to offer somebody. I know what I can bring to the table. And, you know, I know what I can't offer somebody. And I think being okay with that, which is always, I'm always growing and learning from that. But I really felt like on the dates, you know, I just could be authentically me because, I'm okay with where I'm at and I and I've learned to like continue to love the version of myself that I am now but I'm always someone that's committed to working on myself and I'm not where I want to be but I'm I'm okay with where I am now and I think it took me going on those dates to sort of realize that probably taken a few steps back back since because you then sort of like as I said I'm on this weird come down and I guess I'm sort of like oh like do like how do I feel about going back dating since then and you know maybe it's made, made it a bit more complex for me but definitely learn that I have a lot of self-awareness yeah that's an that's an interesting insight about about those guys um it makes me just think about just dating in general for for like the modern man because right for for the longest time the rhetoric around men was that we don't share enough right? We don't share enough details. We don't open up enough. So people can't get to know us. 
Then guys have personal experiences where they get with girls and they're with them a long time and they do start to share deeper insights about themselves. And then these women, not all women, but some women take these vulnerabilities and don't treat them very well and see their man as less than because he has these sort of insecurities and vulnerabilities. So then guys pull farther away because they're like, now my woman doesn't see me as attractive or manly or tough because I shared these things with her. And so there's that two-way street. And then we sort of now, it seems like we've almost, at least in your experience, over-rotated where the point where we're just sharing everything right off the bat about how we're insecure and things like that. And those are important things to discuss, but again, not on a first date, right? Like you said, I think we're trying to share our best light, not in a false performative way, but in a way that's like, this could be the best version of me. And then as we get to know each other, there's different sides of me that I could present. And so now guys, men are sort of unsure what waters are like with sharing these vulnerabilities about themselves because they don't know how the women that they're talking to are going to receive it. Is this woman going to stomp on my vulnerability? Is she going to see me as less attractive or less manly? Or is she going to take it and see that I'm a full complex human and, and make me even more attractive to her? And that's a hard sort of thing to uh, cross, but it's about connecting with someone on a deeper level. And so you can't figure that out, obviously, on a first date. But as a man, we're trying to figure that out as we go, because if we are sharing things with you outside of just like randomly saying your insecurities, I don't think that makes sense. But anyways, um, but as we're sort of expressing ourselves more and more and the more we feel comfortable with you and that you're going to take us as we are, then we're going to start sharing more things about ourselves. So I think there's a middle ground that we're, we're trying to uh, place ourselves in as men. Um, and I mean, there's a deeper conversation here about masculinity and the way society treats masculinity, but we don't have to get into that unless we want to. But I think that dynamic is what makes sharing ourselves, uh, to women a bit complicated because we've all been there where this woman that we're with doesn't want to have sex with us anymore or doesn't find us attractive anymore because she thinks we're weak because we shared this thing to her. So now I'm never, ever going to share again. And that's not true because that causes a lot of mental health issues and problems because we want to be able to share and ask for help and things like that. But we also want to be seen as a tough man who can strap our boots together and get shit done and be protective and all of these things that encompass you know, sort of this masculine man. But uh, it's just interesting to hear those insights from you from from your date. So just wanted to point that out. 100% and I think you know in the context of it being a first date I think it's twofold I think it's self-deprecation is one thing and you mm. know people that do that then it leads into like well do you know yourself and have you learned to love yourself and love where you're at because if you have then you could talk about your vulnerabilities but framing it and having the conversation in a way that's like, I'm acknowledging that I don't like these things about myself, or, you know, I am learning to accept these things about myself is very different to just like spreading negativity. Because on a first date, it should be positive, it should be light. But I totally hear what you're saying, and that leading conversation of men and vulnerability. And I think it's all framed in the context of those conversations, where and when they happen in, you know, the process of dating someone in a relationship with them. Because ultimately, like, you know, I completely agree with you, men shouldn't, you know, be in this box that they can't express how they feel. And, you know, that's a problem within itself. But, you know, my view is on a first date, we don't want to get too heavy. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right, right? First aid is sort of like a vibe check, right? Can I, do I feel this person's energy, this vibe? Can we just have a nice meal? Can we share a few things about ourselves? Can we have a flowing conversation? Does the person actually listen to me? Are they talking over me the whole time? Like those things are easy to tell and it and, and doesn't, you don't have to be saying anything like of like extreme importance that's like super profound. You're just like, you know, talking and then you're like, oh, well, that person was cool and they listened and they had a nice smile and I like their vibe and they weren't on their phone the whole time. So yeah, might as well go on a second date and then it, and then and then it escalates from there into more serious conversations and then you bring in sort of the the sexual physical contact which can have another totally different um layer to the relationship whether you choose to do that, you know, or not, but um, my, my, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was like, basically on the same subject of dating, like, what is it like to, to date, uh, in the modern world as a female? Because I know only as a male's perspective, I have a little idea what it is for a female, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. I think I've got such a warped perspective at the moment, just because of where I'm at with my personal unique, you know, experience of being this, you know, 28 year old single girl young woman who's trying to navigate dating but also is a matchmaker and sets people up and I think that within <laughs> itself is a whole nother podcast conversation and therapy session all in one but in terms of <laughs> you know I think you know more interestingly what I when I speak to my single girlfriends and, and subsequently clients as well I think it's just really hard to navigate what I'm definitely seeing at the moment from the apps as well is what people are looking for and that initial sort of like conversation of, you know, a lot of guys, whether they say it or not, aren't really looking for anything serious. My view recently anyway, really is you you either get guys that are like, just want to let you know, like, I'm not looking at anything serious. So like, if you are, maybe we should just sort of curtail this conversation is a lot of things that's happening at the moment. Or you get the guys that go with it, go on a couple of dates with you, maybe you sleep with them, maybe you don't. And then after that, they sort of end things. And I think that's really tricky mm. when we're living in this this current climate of not really knowing what people are looking for or knowing and then like, you know, getting the ick or just being put off by that straight away. It's been killed. Even if you could meet and actually like, they could be the love of your life. You don't even meet them because they just say off the bat, like you're not looking for anything serious. Um, But, you know, Dating is really hard and not even, I'm not even saying that just as like a single female or a single female who has a dating agency. Like it's just hard. Modern dating is hard. It's shallow. It's, it's people think the only way to meet is the apps. Like it's, it's just, it's stressful. Yes, it, it is. I mean, it's it's always hard. It's always been hard, but it's much harder now because of, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert by any means, and I'm not in the dating market anymore. But there's just like a few things that make it more complicated. I think uh, promiscuity on both sides, men and female, makes it much more complicated because if the value of a real relationship or the institution of marriage is less valued than it was before, and all I'm looking for is sex – and women want to be more like men, so they want to have just more sex. That means it's easier to have sex with them, so guys don't have to try as hard to have sex with them. And then when they have sex with them, that's it because they've gotten the cookie. So it's like this whole – and it's of course, it's not the woman's job to make men better. That's not what I'm saying. But we can 
do a better job of trying to come together instead of having this zero sum game of if women are better, that mean men have to go down. If men are doing good, that mean women have to go down. No, it's the, the sort of the, the uh, constant elevation of each other where we can sort of meet where we are and, and, you know, create these, these reciprocal, uh, cooperative, respectful relationships that can last over a long period of time. And if we're, if we're only thinking about the sexual aspect of it all, we're never going to get there. Um, and so not that the sexual aspect isn't important. It is important. It's important for all relationships. It's how you connect with someone, but the sex in a relationship will always be better if the emotional connection is amazing. And that's what we have to try and curate at the beginning of a relationship. But if all we're looking for is these like casual, low key things that just like are easy and like we're not building anything. And I understand that aspect as a guy because I was there basically my whole life until I met Re. Then I decided like, okay, better figure it the fuck out, man. Um, but I understand that. So as guys, we sort of have to close that loop on it and be able to say that I'm ready to commit to one woman for the rest of my life and then be on that path and actually stand by those words. And women the same way because they want to do all of these things in their life um, and maybe having a family or being in a relationship isn't at the top of the list, which is totally fine. But when it is, we have to be able to commit to that as well. And so dating apps just make it harder because there's there seems to be a lot more options when there's not, right? Um, and there seems to be an endless amount of fish in the sea when there's not, right? And so I don't know. It's about uh, bringing back the values that are that are actually important, like committing to a person, creating long-lasting relationships, wanting to build a family if that's for you. Um, you know, and, and saying that you're going to give someone effort for the rest of your life. Like that's really quite cool. And there's no, there can be no better relationship than, uh, a marriage that lasts until someone dies because you're getting to know the evolution of a person at different stages of their life. And I think that's really cool. Um, sorry, I just sort of went on just like a, a little rant there, but yeah. <laughs> no, I love and I love that. It's so true what you say that like the apps make it seem like there's an endless pool of people when there isn't, you know, it's just, it's just, it appears that way that it can go on and on and you can keep going and going and it's like shopping for, for a date. And it's so true that like, that isn't really what it is. It's just, it's actually, a, it's a complete facade and it's just so not true. So I really like how you phrase that. I also think, you know, ultimately my view of of it is exactly what you said in terms of how you met Rihanna that it was obviously meant to be and like you were meant to meet for whatever reason and so whilst I you know match make and will try and introduce people like you can't fight fate you can't fight God when you're meant to re meet the right person at the right time it will happen for you and you know, some people might say that's like toxic positivity. It isn't, you know, I try and be positive about dating because I speak to single people all the time and I hear their woes and how hard they find it. And I try and really separate my own feelings about dating with my clients because it's sometimes can get too much for me when I'm constantly hearing this negativity. And I try and instill, you know, um, positivity and just sort of like trusting the process of course it's hard you know if you want to meet somebody and it's just not happening you know that can get you down but I ultimately believe like what's for you won't go by you and so there are people that you know go on five to ten dates a week and they're not meeting anyone and then there are people that rarely date go on one date and they meet the love of their life it's just 
that there is a plan and you just have to sometimes just trust the way embrace the uncertainty and like it will play, play out the way it's meant to and it's really hard to hear but I think there is so much truth in that because at the end of the day like you know your soulmate I believe in soulmates I believe that like you'll you'll find them and they'll find you but until then you know keep doing that work on yourself and just trust that you know it will happen in the right time I guess I mean 100% right but the I think the most important fact there is that those things that are coming to you that are supposed to come to you only will come to you if you're actually in the arena playing the game right if all you're doing is sitting at your house doing nothing no exercise not eating right not working on yourself not having a job then you're the thing that should come to you is you're missing it because you're just not in the arena but if you're in the arena maybe casually dating going on a couple dates every week or once a month or five dates a week right you're in the arena playing the game thinking about the most important thing because i think what people sort of miss when it comes to dating is what they're looking for, which is very important. You should know what you're looking for, right? You should know what values you want in another person, what sort of partner you want, how many, maybe if you want to get married, if you want kids, like those important conversations, how, what, what faith you want to raise your children. Like those are important questions, but also important things is like, what do you, what do I bring to the table? Like what attributes and things and skills are a value that someone will actually want? Because if I can make myself, the most attractive man in the world, then the woman I want will want me. There's a there's Dr. Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you listen to him, but he talks about dating a little bit, and he says that if a man, if if every woman in the world finds this man, whatever man, unattractive, then it's not the women's fault; it's the man's fault. So now, what do I do? It's not that I get bitter and resentful about the women because they don't like me. It's not their fault. It's okay. What can I do right now? to make myself more attractive to the women that I find attractive and then go out and do that. And then you become the person that is attracted to the thing that you want. And now you actually bring some value to the relationship that you so want. And now if it doesn't work out and things, whatever, that's another story. But now you have something to offer other than I just am a person and here I am. Like what is, what are the values? You, you say you want a caring, kind, compassionate, confident woman. Are you caring, kind, compassionate, financially stable do you have your head on straight do you have your values in order like what sort of things make you attractive to an exceptional woman or what things make you attractive to an exceptional man and then go out and do those things and so i think that part is missed a lot in dating um especially for young men who just expect women to like them for what fucking reason right go out and be the thing that you know is attractive. You know what's attractive. You've seen it. You have role models. You see people on TV and on movies and in books and in podcasts. You have to work out. You have to be in shape. You have to, you know, uh, be competent and caring and confident and carry yourself with some sort of vigor and intensity and have some zest about you. Like these things are qualities that you can attain. They're not like these magical, esoteric things that are unattainable, only that God can have them. No, you just work for them and you, you and then you present them in the best way possible. And then as you're saying, then the right thing will pop into your life because if it's meant for you, it'll come for you. And then you're totally ready. And you're like, yep, here I am. I'm ready for this shit. This is what I've been working for. And so I think that's important also when it comes to dating. 100%. And I, I, I really do agree with you. And I think, yeah, you know, you can't sit in your bedroom and expect for Prince Charming to knock on your door and be like, hey, but 
in the same breath. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just showed up at your house. Like I, I agree with that hundred percent. But I also think sometimes, um, sometimes when you're you know when you're out there and you're like looking for it, you don't always give off the right vibe or the right energy. And so it's sort of just, you know, take a breather, continue doing the work on yourself. And, you know, that's in all forms. Of course, that's physically, but that's mentally, that's emotionally. There's so many different things. I mean, like I know for me, punctuality is literally one of my most important things. I am always on time aka early and going on a date and a guy being late is just the most unattractive thing and I remember somebody telling me once that their now husband was late on the first date and she messaged him after the date and she was like look at like you know I didn't appreciate that you were late on the date to the date um you know like my time's important so you know I would appreciate if we go out again that you're not late sort of thing he literally took on bored everything she said and was never late again and they're now married and have a baby and are very happy but you know there's things like that which you know you don't they're not necessarily so stark but that is how you present yourself and I think it's like something it's an example but it's something to sort of you know bring to the table here <laughs> yeah but it's also uh, an attractive quality of that woman to say what she believes and stands for and what's important to her. Like as a man, I'm like, yeah, this fucking woman knows what she wants. That's hot. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do better because I care. And I want to, <laughs> I want her to find me attractive. Like those things are like, but that's a confident woman. Like not everyone, not men too. Not everyone can say, Hey, this is what is important to me. And I expect this of you or else we're not going to go on any more dates. And then you stand firm in that. Like that's unbelievably awesome and attractive. And so, uh, if you can express your wants and needs, I mean, you're you're one step ahead in the dating market for sure. Hundred percent, honestly, just be direct, and you'll be married with a kid, apparently. So, where's my cue? <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I think it's uh, I think it's very admirable what you're trying to do in a, in a very complicated uh, market of dating. So, very cool. Thank you. Celebrating three years in July. I was just actually messaging my mum because I was like, I want to do a little celebration, Pims in the garden of three years. And so there's one couple that I set up that are married with a baby. Another couple are getting married in September. Another couple have recently got engaged. And there's a few other couples that are sort of, you know, together, but, you know, haven't got a ring on it yet. So I was like to my mum, yeah, we should invite them and invite some of my friends because it's just been such a journey and, and so many things have happened in the last three years. And so, you know, I want to make sure that I mark these occasions. Like I marked, you know, a year of the business and, um, you know, my second year of the business. Like there's always just, I think it's just good to celebrate small milestones when you have your own business and just making sure that like, you know, it, you know, I'm like three years, three engagements. So we need to have a party basically. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should. No, it's super important and super cool. Like running a business of any sort is uh it's not easy by any means. And so three years is a major milestone. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. But I want to now ask you about how you got back into theater because of COVID, you lost your job, and I know you're back into it now, right? So how did that all work out? So <laughs> I'd been running my business for about a year 
and I'd been out of work in theatre for about a year and things were starting to reopen in the industry and jobs were coming about and I was interviewing for things and I was sort of in between roles so it was quite tricky like where did I fit where was I going to land um, and I ended up getting a job as a production coordinator working I work primarily on the musical Six, which is a big musical about Henry the Eighth, Six Wives. Um, and I'd actually interned for this company years ago. So I sort of ended up going back somewhere where I had once interned before, which was nice. And, um, you know, I obviously they knew that I'd set up this dating agency during lockdown. And so they've been amazing and really cool about it that I run it on the side. And um, I also write like a monthly dating column for the Jewish Chronicle. And so I just do my work around working in theatre. And, you know, I am really proud and also like feel really lucky that I basically have two careers that are really creative and, you know, have a a shared skill set, weirdly, because being administrative and organized are literally so important for both my dating agency and my job in theater and so you know it's just really nice that and I feel really you know really fortunate that I managed to stride the tide of both um and you know that's sort of where I've arrived now that I've been back in theater for two years and I managed to you know keep things ticking along doing both things and you know I mean it just it works which I'm really lucky that it does but it just does I have a full-time job and I have my own business I run on the side and for some reason I've been really lucky to be able to just make that exist and that's you know something that I feel really excited about yeah cheers mazel tov <laughs> um what um what made you what made you fall in love with theater because I, I did a little theater when I was in middle school um, but then I fell in love with like WWE professional wrestling, which is has a, as a version of theater in it. Right. But, um, you know, what, what made you fall in love with that to make it a career? I think just, I love that, you know, the theater is such an escapism and I love that it's live every night. Um, I think that's really exciting. I think, you know, interestingly, the part of the job that I would say I'm the best at is, you know, when things go wrong and we need to fix things, I'm, you know, quite good in crisis mode. Um, but I just love, you know, those two things that, you know, there's the shared experience with this audience and everyone is, you know, watching a show or part of something and, you know, you're there having this like, you know, lived experience in front of you. And I just think it's just always been something that I've, I've enjoyed and like, you know, putting on a show and being a part of something as well. That's something that I really missed actually during COVID when I lost my job and I was setting up my business, it was lonely just on my own and doing things by myself and, you know, having colleagues, but also being part of the show and everyone that's involved in putting a show on is, is massive. Um, and, you know, when you see something amazing, and it, it blows your mind and you're just like, oh, this is why, this is why I work in theatre. And there's those moments for me are like, you know, you can't, you can't buy those experiences or moments. And there's just something just really exciting about it. I, and I love talking about, you know, shows and recommending shows to people and, you know, being a part of this industry is amazing. And, it, you know, I always say there's like Jewish geography and there's theatre geography and everyone knows everyone. And it's just, it's the same, but it's different. And I really love, you know, being part of like the West End and the London theatre world. It's just really exciting and really cool people. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's good vibes. 
what's the West End for people who've never heard of that? Um, well, if there are Americans listening and you know about Broadway in New York, the West End is just basically the theatre district in London. Um, and that's mainly, you know, the mainly the shows I work on are, are West End commercial productions. But sometimes I've worked on UK tours as well. So they tour the country. Um, so. How long do you, uh, does one show usually play in the West End? Good question. I mean, it, it depends. So there's something called long running shows, which are shows that sort of sit down and, you know, are on for years and years and years. And, you know, Six, which is the musical that I work on, is an incredibly sold out show. So we are we're currently sat down and we have an open ended run. But a lot of productions are like limited runs. So a lot of plays, for example, are like 12 weeks only. And they might have, you know, a star or a celebrity in them as well. And so it's just a limited time where the show's on. Um, but it completely depends on, you know, the production, how it's selling, um, as to, you know, how long a show is on for. But the show that I mainly look after, which is Six, is, um, you know, incredibly successful. And we, you know, fortunately are sold out every night. So we're not going anywhere. Wow. That's a, like every night. That's yeah. incredible. Eight shows a week. And also, like, wow, the performers are absolutely getting after it. That's unbelievable. It's really cool. Did you guys see a show in London in the end when you came with Rihanna? No, we didn't have a chance to see anything. Mm, But I know when she, when Rhi usually goes out there, she sees a show with her mom, but we didn't, uh, we didn't have a chance to do it this time. Maybe next, next time. time you come, you have to see a show, obviously. <laughs> what is, um, what's your favorite show that you've seen live or maybe favorite couple? I mean, recently I saw an immersive production of Guys and Dolls. So Guys and Dolls, immersive is basically there are seat, there are standing tickets where you're part of the action and the stage essentially moves and it's on all these different blocks and the audience who are in the immersive sections move around and it was sensational as in I'm going back in a couple of weeks I had the most amazing night and part of the reason I loved it so much was watching other people watch it and seeing their reactions was just so powerful and really like emotional actually like there was one point where I think I like started crying a little bit because I was like watching a young girl and I was watching her fall in love with theatre for the first time and I was like that's what I was like when I fell in love with theatre 15 years ago and so seeing her face it's it's just amazing so everyone is talking about guys and dolls at the moment because it's just incredible um but you know it's just it's just the power of that theatre has of telling different stories. I mean, I worked on a two-part play mm. called The Inheritance, which was about the AIDS epidemic in New York. And that was incredible to work on and be a part of. And seeing that story be told and the audience reaction, all those sorts of things was was really special. But, you know, I don't have a favourite, but I see shows and I'm like, that blew me away. And it's and they're like the top, top theatre experiences, you know? <laughs> what about you? Uh, my theater experience. Um, well, the way you talk about theater is how I feel when I was a young boy watching professional wrestling. So basically the same thing, right? I would see these like 
larger than life characters, like doing these moves and being athletic and having these fights and putting on these stories. And I was like, whoa, like, how do, how do I become big, strong guy who can do flips and throw people around and talk on the microphone and wear these cool outfits and be this like larger than life character. And, uh, you know, I've loved it since I was 13 and then became a profession for me for a long time. But yeah, I feel that that's how, that's how I feel about theater. I mean, uh, so that's why I feel theater in regards to wrestling. So I know exactly what you mean in terms of like having this like emotional reaction to human beings putting on a show and creating something that makes you feel something, whether it makes you feel sad or loved or valued or like you can do that or you inspired by it or whatever the case may be is. I mean, that's all that's what storytelling is. I mean, that's what I hope people get out of this podcast, too, that they have a sense of this story that we're trying to tell your story uh, and they feel like, oh, wow, like Amy's doing that. Well, maybe I can go and start my own business or create this or find the person I want to marry or whatever the case may be is right. And all of that, everything we share in a public facing way, whether it be in theater as a live performance or a podcast or a book or a social media post, it's all a story and it's telling a story, whether it's a, the story we're trying to tell ourselves or the story we're trying to get across to the world to maybe inspire help other people. So it, I think, I mean, that's the greatest medium we have is, is storytelling. So. So true. And, and a hundred percent when you talk about, when you mentioned there, like my business and stuff like that, like I always, um, the one thing I find really weird about my business is that I basically want my clients to, to like cancel their sign up with me because I want them to meet their person and it's such a weird thing because you know most businesses you want repeat customers it's like no no I don't want to see you ever again I hope that you know I introduce you to your other half or you meet them elsewhere because you know that's ultimately I want you to meet somebody and so it's so true when you say that because so much about business you know a lot of the time for people can be about looking at competitors and stuff like that and I don't know if you've seen Jewish matchmaking on Netflix but that's recently been on and it's so so good and the matchmaker Elisa she says something in there about how like I don't care how you meet somebody if I introduce you great if you meet them elsewhere great I just want you to meet your soulmate and I share that sentiment with her and then some like I always tell my clients like when they when someone says like oh can you please remove me from a database I'm always like I hope you've met somebody like I hope why you're why you're like you don't want to be on my books anymore is because you've met someone and so yeah I really I really do find that really weird but kind of love that about what I do that you know people people never speaking to me again is is actually a positive (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because I I always see hinge uh, they have these commercials that come on and their end slogan is always the app that's meant to be deleted. And that's what, that's what made me think of that. It's like, yeah, don't want you to use this. No, I don't. Yeah. Anyways, hinge worked for me, but hopefully people uh, are using uh, your agency. So, but I have, I have one more question to ask you if you're up for it. Go for it. Okay. If you, Amy, were going to put up a billboard in the West end. So millions of people are going to see this billboard every single day. What would you put on that billboard? God. In relation to what? Anything. 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 Anything you want people to see. Does it have to be about me? Am I selling something? Or is it just like spreading good vibes? 
any of those things. You could be selling something. You could be spreading good vibes. You can put your phone number up there. Just whatever you think. I think it's just got to be, yeah, like I've got to actually, you know, be a bit YOLO and maybe like put my number up there or like looking for a husband. (laughs) (laughs) Just put an advert for me that I'm looking for a man. I'm joking. I actually don't know. I feel like half a part of me is like, oh, like be selfless, Amy, like spread positive vibes, like, you know, a cute quote, like better to be better than bitter or, you know, love yourself but then also part of me is like right this is great business business what am I doing how am I how am I selling myself or my business I don't know part and parcel well listen you got you got two sides of the billboard so there you go you can have both one's for promotion and one's for good vibes there we go that's what I would do (laughs) perfect what was that quote you said about being bitter oh better to be better than bitter I like that one. Let's throw that on the billboard. And then, and then on the back, we'll say, uh, looking for a husband, hit this number. <laughs> exactly. Literally. Yeah. Best do better than better. I need to trademark that because genuinely, I think I'm partly known for that quote because I just really feel like it's a, it's a good one. It is. It is. It might be the title of this episode. I mean, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with what we talked about the whole time, but <laughs> either way, it's still fine. But uh, do you have any um, last minute closing thoughts, questions, concerns, funny stories, anecdotes? Um, funny story we can end on is I was chatting to somebody on Hinge recently and I was like, not really sure if I was vibing it. So I hadn't really replied. And I got on the tube in London on the Saturday night and I looked great. I was going out and this guy gets on the tube that I've been chatting to and sits two seats away from me I genuinely went purple and this man opposite me was staring at me and could see I looked like I'd seen a ghost I ran for the hills (laughs) I literally jumped off of the tube I just couldn't face me and him locking eyes this guy and then I got off the tube and I messaged him and I was like were you just on the northern line like at Tottenham Court Road and he was like yeah and I was like, well, I was sat two seats away from you. So that is a great thing to end on. But also just thank you so much for asking me to join you and come on. And it was just so great to meet you when you were in London. And I think what you do is amazing. Um, and I love how open that you are. And I hope that, you know, you continue to be really successful in everything you're doing. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a, it was a joy to meet you and a joy to talk to you. And I'm sure there'll be many more conversations to come. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Amy Belchek. What resonated with you most deeply? What was your biggest takeaway from that episode? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click that link in the show notes and see which tier might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, 
please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.